to another episode of Improv Exchange with Lee Ander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a young, talented piano player originally from Seattle, Chris McCarthy. And how you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, Andrew. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you please tell the people about yourself? Sure. My name is Chris McCarthy. I'm 25 years old, and I've been in New York City for almost four years. Originally, I'm from Seattle, and I got into jazz in high school through my high school big band at Roosevelt High School. And while I was there, we, we got to go to essentially Ellington uh, three times and I got a taste of what New York was about when I was around 15 doing that. And then I always knew I wanted to come back to the city eventually, but I ended up going to college in Boston at New England Conservatory and I got my undergrad there, uh, finished in 2016 and then came right to New York where I've been playing and teaching and trying to make a name for myself ever since. Well, you got my attention. I think your latest album is outstanding. Uh, can you tell us quickly about the, the album? Thank you very much, first of all. Um, yeah, the album's called Still Time to Quit. And it's my first project of all original music. Uh, it's my first record for Ropadope, which is a fantastic label I've really loved since high school. So to be releasing something with them is really an honor and the band is full of people I look up to and have respected as musicians for for years but have only recently started getting the chance to to play with so that's Michael Blake on tenor saxophone and flute uh, Takuya Kuroda is playing trumpet Sam Manai is playing bass and he also mixed and mastered the whole project and JK Kim who's um, my old friend from Boston and is one of the best drummers in the the world, frankly. Uh, he's on drums and it's eight tracks uh, long, about 15 minutes of music. And it's really been great to see the reception it's gotten. It got a lot of uh, streams over the course of the first month and uh we're looking to press some vinyl later this year and uh, got, got a lot of good reviews and various publications. So it's been really gratifying to see that play out in such a good way. That's good, man. That's good. So from Washington to Massachusetts to New York. Yep. So when you actually came into the music scene, what hit you the most? The music scene in New York? Yeah. Well, the the level of playing is so high um and you can you can seek out these people as your your peers you know and that i've always been struck by how there wasn't too much of a hierarchy in the scene it was more like if you can play you'll be connected with the right people regardless of age or demographics and uh that's been really cool to see and also uh, the connections that I had from Boston and going to school really pay off in New York because there's really not much of a scene at all in Boston for 
for working musicians. Um, there's not a lot of venues, not a lot of gigs. So a lot of people end up going to New York. So a lot of the same people I'm playing with now, I've been playing with since I was a freshman at NEC. Um, so those connections really make a big difference. Okay. So how did you see the jazz world as a student versus now? When I, when I was in Boston at first, I was trying to take the Bolt bus down to New York City pretty frequently. Um, and, you know, lose money every time, do whatever tiny random gig. But uh, I was going more to sometimes just to see shows that I was excited about. Um, like I, I went to see Roscoe Mitchell at the Vision Festival and took the bus and it broke down halfway there and it took about eight hours <laughs> and I almost missed the the show. But I was really into his music at the time and knew that was the only chance I would get to see him live, maybe for the foreseeable future. So it was always jumping on opportunities like that. I think I was more willing to do stuff like that as a student because I was just so focused on the craft uh, every day because that's what you do in a conservatory. You just are in a practice room and you play with your friends. And I was lucky to be playing some gigs around the city as well, but it's a very insular environment. So to, to get out of that and come to New York was always really exciting. And then moving here, I think I had a, at least some sense of, you know, what it was like at the different venues, which scenes I might want to associate myself with. Um, so I wasn't moving in cold, which was good. Okay. So what did you expect of your music career or what did you actually expect of the music scene once you graduated? Were you expecting well, like gigs? Were you expecting hard labor, side jobs? Like what? Yeah, well, I, I've always tried to just make a path for myself only in music and uh, I haven't had to take up any side hustles outside of that, which I'm very grateful for. Um... But I think over the course of being in New York, you know, it's just sort of shifting uh, how I make a living into pursuits that are hopefully more fulfilling than they were at the beginning of my time here. Like I used to teach about 20 kids piano lessons every week, uh, which gets to be quite exhausting. And I've been able to transition more into uh, uh creating sheet music as my sort of side hustle. Um, and, you know, I, I, could, I, I could never have foreseen that exactly, but I've always been something that someone that's pretty passionate about notation and, you know, how to create beautiful looking pieces of music, not even how they sound, just how they look on the page. Um, so I've been able to dive more into the art of that in order to pay rent consistently and that work also doesn't go away in a pandemic which has proved to be very helpful no, that's that's a advantage you have over a lot of people i've spoken to recently i give you that yeah i mean i i miss performing very much um and it was a big part of my life but uh to have this stability where i can just keep creating sheet music consistently that that's going to keep me afloat. 
at least until the venues come back. Okay. So what advice would you tell someone going into music? At, at what age? Coming out of college? Let's say coming out of high school, going into it. Well, it's a, it's a combination of putting in the hours and addressing your weaknesses. Like my, I remember my first lesson with Miguel Zanon at NEC, he was telling me, you know, now is the time to fix any weaknesses you might have as a player. It's not when you graduate and are trying to make a name for yourself on the scene. You want to have everything kind of figured out by then. And it's not, you know, you're, you're constantly going to be improving, but, but school is really the time to address weaknesses, uh, whatever those might be, your time, your sense of harmony. Uh, if you're a horn player, being able to play piano. Uh, so that's critical, certainly. Um, but also, you know, whatever scene you're in, I don't, it's, I don't think you have to be in New York for school. I'm kind of glad I wasn't because um, I got a chance to develop more in Boston. And then I felt like I was more prepared when I came to the city. And you can make the most out of any school environment you're in, but you, you always want to consider the, the level of the people you're going to be peers with at the, at the school. And, uh, at this point, I, I think really going to a conservatory music school is all about the connections you make. And it's not even about the piece of paper or formal education anymore. It's just, uh, friends you make that will hopefully call you for gigs for the rest of your life. So <laughs> if, if you think about it like that, then you can go pretty far with it. I think. Nah, but I agree, but you're one of the first people that told me that you're glad you weren't in New York for that. For school. Yeah. I mean, I, in Boston, I was really fortunate to have this regular gig with Jerry Berganzi for two years, um, which was a huge confidence boost for me but also just uh musically to to play with an improviser of that caliber when you're 19 was a huge learning experience for me um and the rest of the band too was was all world-class people phil grenadier uh on trumpet who's i'm not as quite as well as, as well known but as his brother larry but equally amazing the best ears of pretty much any musician I've ever played with. Um, and when Jerry couldn't do the gig, George Garzon would, would fill in for him. Um, Joe Lovano came by sometimes. So that gig was really amazing for me, uh, to, to, cause th they don't really exist, uh, outside of, uh, weekly gigs like that don't really exist anymore. Every Monday night. Um, and then on top of that, the, my time uh, with Jason Palmer's band at Wally's uh, was, was equally rare as an opportunity where we were playing two sets of music every Friday and Saturday for about a year and a half. And there's actually two live records we made from around that time that it's called At Wally's Volume 1 and Volume 2. 
um, it's recorded by Jimmy Katz, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good documentation of maybe that era of my playing and development, which is about four years ago now. But yeah, so that's, that's why I say being in Boston was really good for me, I think. Okay. So Seattle, I've been there a few times, not really, but when you compare places like the triple door to the jazz clubs in New York city, do you say they're more beneficial over there for young artists or more over here? You know, I know I never really played at the triple door, uh, as a band leader, except as in my high school, <laughs> my high school big band. So I can't really comment on that venue specifically, but I will say that Seattle had a lot of venues that were open to booking young people. Like the first time I played at Tula's, which is no longer there, unfortunately. It was an amazing jazz club in Belltown and downtown Seattle. Uh, the first time I played there as a band leader, I think I was 16. 16, um, nice. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, a, a lot of clubs in New York would not give you the time of day until you're in your 20s. So I was definitely grateful for that. Part of that's the the music scene in Seattle is so full of great education programs that I think it's just expected that there's a a wave of young musicians coming up and bookers would recognize that and help you out. And another place was Egan's Ballard Jam House. Uh, we used to play there all the time. And they're door gigs, but... Um, they're they're full of real life lessons of how to market a show and get an audience out, and they've got a real backline and they treat their musicians well. Some some might say better than a lot of New York venues. So I, I've never I've never had to be a working musician paying rent in Seattle, so I can't really comment on how that would be versus New York, but. Uh, in New York, it's, it's just, uh, really a thrill to, to be around so much great music all the time. And when they were open, you know, frequenting places like Smalls and Mesro, uh, always gave me a lot of joy and inspiration. Uh, yeah. So where do you think jazz will be in 10 years from what you have seen? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I really have no idea. But I can say that maybe for my own music, I I just want to keep drawing from the different genres that I I like and dig outside of straight ahead jazz. Like, like I have one project that's uh, based on hip hip hop acapellas. Like hip hop acapellas. Okay, go go. So, Come on. So so yeah. So that's. Uh, me and JK Kim, the drummer from my album, playing duo, and we uh, have a library of acapella tracks from people like Missy Elliott and Outkast, uh, Nas, all kinds of classic hip hop, but there's no instrumental behind the vocals. So we're creating a new instrumental live. Um, and we, got a, we have a few videos of that online that you can find. But that project has been really near to my heart the past couple of years. And I think you're going to see more stuff 
in that direction where the lines are hopefully getting more and more blurred between hip hop and jazz, but not even in the conventional like Dilla vamp jazz that has already been around for a, a decade at least. Um, which is cool. And like, there's a lot of beautiful music being made under like a lo-fi hip hop umbrella. But for me, I'm kind of interested in also the darker side of, of hip hop and how I can connect that to darker sides of, of improvisation and jazz. So like um, Casa overall, you know him, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. So is it, is it more like his style or is it going to be more like a lo-fi, like he said, lo-fi? Yeah. Well, the the stuff we've released, JK and I already, I would definitely be closer to what Casa's doing, I think. Okay. Because um, his stuff is, is, has a lot of improvisation. Uh, that new record is really awesome. Dude, I had him uh, on. He's, he's a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we've only really met in person once or twice, but uh, definitely, definitely, you know, being from Seattle, I've known about him for years. Uh, so yeah, that, that project with JK is, is maybe on the freer side of things. It's not really a like beat tape project. It's more like we're just kind of going ham, improvising what we might do if we, uh, regardless of the track being there, but we're still trying to play off the rhythms of the, the rap and, and, you know, just create a new context for it. Okay. I am interested in that. I'll be paying it or Looking forward to it, I should say. Okay, so if you could turn back time, talk to your 18-year-old self, would you talk them out of being a jazz musician? Uh, I would not because uh, it's working out so far. <laughs> um, I, It's not like everything I do is jazz either. Um, I... Uh, I, I play with a lot of singers and more like the pop singer songwriter realm. Um, I'm interested in producing my own stuff. Um, so I, I've always looked at it more as I'm just a musician. I'm not a jazz musician. I get, I get called for a lot of jazz gigs and I definitely love the music and work to be better at it. But I feel like the the phrase jazz musician puts a certain image in people's okay. mind. That is <laughs> it, fair. That was bad on my part, I should say. So would you talk yourself out of being a musician? Right. Well, no, again, because okay. uh, it's, I, I, I've, you know, I've had my doubts of if I could really make a living doing it, but I've, I've proven to myself that it's possible and you might have to play, more wedding gigs than you want to at first. And you might have to, you know, not, not pay a whole lot for, for food for, for the first few months in New York, whatever. But, but you can get past that. And if you just build a network of little projects that can generate you income, then you'll be all right. Okay. Okay. That's cool, man. So, if you could remove all the barriers and all the constraints, what type of project would you do and who would you want on it? Honestly, I just want to make another record with the band from my last album. <laughs> and the plan is to do that in the fall. Okay. Uh, if, if social distancing allows that, 
we'll see. You know, I never thought about that. Social distancing in the studio. Yeah, I mean, I did one studio session right before everything really shut down. And it was just two of us, and we were able to stay far apart. But with a coin set, it would be more difficult. But we can only hope that we can find solutions for that. Okay. And what is the best compliment you ever received? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Um, uh, actually, recently there was a review of the record that Paul Rauch did for All About Jazz. And he said uh, that the album reminded him of, of records from the vinyl era, the 50s and 60s. Um, when, and he said when the record wasn't just a release, it's more of an artistic statement. And I love records and I love all the music from that era. And while the music on their album isn't necessarily like classic jazz, there's no standards or anything. Uh, I really appreciated that he got that same spirit uh, that is conveyed in those records. Cause that's really what I was going for with the classic quintet vibe also on my record. Okay. So, Chris, before you go, we normally like to give a shout out and show our respects to the artists who came before us. So I'm going to tell you an instrument and two artists. Choose one and tell us why, okay? Sounds good. On trumpet, Clifford Brown or Lee Morgan? Recently, I've been on a big Clifford kick, actually. He's, he's just one of the most incredible improvisers, regardless of instrument. So going with Clifford this time. Okay. On saxophone, John Coltrane or Charlie Parker? Oh, man. Well, I think Col I'll, I'll say Coltrane. That's an impossible question. <laughs> okay, why Coltrane? Uh, again, it's, it's kind of what I've been into recently, but... Um, you know, a few days, maybe like last week, I put on Sunship and was feeling the the tension of the quarantine and being cooped up inside all the time. And that music was so cathartic for uh, for what I was going through that particular day. So I've always thought, thought his music has the power to do that. And of course, Bird does too, but that's where Train is for is doing that's what he's doing for me right now okay i'm bass charles mingus or ray brown i think charles mingus because ray brown is of course the most swinging to probably to ever live and is on so many classic recordings i love but mingus as a composer, I find him really inspirational. And I don't know if you've heard Mingus plays piano, but that's a really fascinating document of him at the piano uh, working out his ideas. And as a composer, I find him really inspiring. Okay. On piano, Bill Evans or McCoy Turner? Uh, R.I.P. McCoy, first of all. Uh, you know, McCoy actually was one of the first jazz musicians I ever heard. 
I heard the Real McCoy album when I was 14, I think. And it's one of those records that got me hooked. So I have to, I have to say McCoy this time around. Okay. On drums, Matt Wilson or Billy Hart? Billy was actually one of my mentors at NEC. Oh. Uh, I took lessons with him for uh, about a year. And Billy's very dear to my heart. He's an incredible guy and teacher and has given me some great opportunities too. We, uh, we did a, a hilarious gig in a, in a mall in New Jersey uh, about two years ago. Uh, you know, in, in the middle a lunch lunchtime concert with Billy Hart in a New Jersey mall was I, I wouldn't have seen that coming. But uh, yeah, Billy is a mentor, and I really look up to him. So, Jabali. Okay, no problem, man. I just didn't know you knew him. <laughs> I do. Yeah, we, we haven't spoken in a little while, but um, that's my man, definitely. Okay, so Chris, can you tell people where to find you, how to contact you? Sure. Uh, well, my email is chrismccarthymusic at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram is chrismccarthy. Uh, Facebook, just under my name. It's on all streaming platforms and Bandcamp for purchasing. I think that's that's it. Oh, okay, no problem. Band camp. Uh, yeah. So, Chris, thank you for coming on again. Okay, means a lot. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you, and have a good day. All right, thank you. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>